0: at gracekettering.org. Thanks again for joining us and enjoy the episode. Ecclesiastes chapter number eight, and uh, I didn't want to get past Ecclesiastes without taking some time to describe a little bit in this book. I hope it will be a help to you tonight. Ecclesiastes chapter number eight, I am glad that you are here and grateful for what God will do in our hearts Tonight. Ecclesiastes chapter number 8 and verse number 10. All right, let's read together. Ecclesiastes 8 and verse number 10. I'll read, you follow along. And so I saw the wicked buried. We're talking about a funeral service here, Solomon is, who had come and gone from the place of the holy, and they were forgotten in the city uh, where they had so done this. is also vanity or senselessness, emptiness, is the idea when he says that throughout this this book. Verse number 11. But sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily. Therefore, the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. Though a sinner do evil a hundred times and his days be prolonged, Yet surely I know that it shall be well with them that fear God, which fear before him. But it shall not be well with the wicked, neither shall he prolong his days, which are as a shadow, because he feareth not before God. There is a vanity which is done upon the earth, that there be just men unto whom it happeneth according to the work of the wicked. Again, there be wicked men to whom it happeneth according to the work of the righteous. I said that this also is vanity. Hmm. Then I commend mirth, because a man hath no better thing under the sun, notice that, under the sun, than to eat and to drink and to be merry for that shall abide with him, stay with him, of his labor the days of his life which God giveth him under the sun. When I applied mine heart to know wisdom and to see the business that is done upon the earth, for also there is that neither day nor night seeth sleep with his eyes, then I beheld all the works of God, that a man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun, because though a man labor to seek it out, yet he shall not find it. Yea, farther, though a wise man think to know it, yet shall he not be able to find it. Father, would you guide us tonight? Would you be our instructor? You put this in Scripture, and we want to understand and apply it into our lives, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so the, you, you kind of feel again like last week we dealt with the book of Job, and Job's kind of all over. Well, for a different circumstance, Solomon, who is very wealthy, very wise, is all over. He has set his heart throughout his life to have everything that would give him pleasure. I mean, he is, he's not withheld anything from him. He has live choirs. He doesn't need the radio or a CD. He has live choirs. He has... All the food he wants, he has all the servants he wants. In fact, you remember the Queen of Sheba, she came over and she looked at everything that Solomon had. She saw the happiness of his servants and she said there was no more spirit left in her. It literally drained her of her breath, drained her of her spirit. She was was like, whoa, this is unbelievable. And Solomon had all that. And Solomon had become, as we know, even towards the end of his life, very... As some would say today, narcissistic, he was very self-focused. Everything was about him. All that God had given him. He had turned the blessings of God uh, inward and he'd become quite foolish in his later, in his later years. But Solomon writes down the book of of, uh, of Ecclesiastes sort of as a a retrospect looking back over his life and all the things that he had learned, and some of the things that he learned through the school of hard knocks, and he writes some things that seem to be all over the board and oftentimes comes to this refrain: this is vanity and vexation of spirit. This is vanity, this is senselessness, this is empty, and it vexes my spirit to even think on it. So he shows us, it's really the, the catalog, the, the journey of a man who's who's had everything, but at the end of his life realizes this, I should have stayed focused on God. I should have stayed focused on glorifying God. In fact, I want you to turn to uh, Ecclesiastes 12 and look particularly at verse number 13 because he brings it all down to this conclusion. Chapter 12, verse 13. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Let us hear the conclusion. If we can bring it all down to this, Everything I've said, all the up and down, if you've been reading through Ecclesiastes, you've kind of walked through some of that. Like He's given his heart to know wealth and and all these different things. And he says, no, let me bring it all down to this. Let's hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God, keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Now that's a good conclusion. It's really sad if you get there only by hard knocks, right? And so, may we learn from Solomon's life, he, he had everything that we seek after today. He had the American dream and more, and yet he still came down to the whole duty of man is to fear God and keep his commandments. That's pretty powerful. So we're really on a journey through the book of, of Ecclesiastes, journeying from self-centeredness to total surrender to God. That's really what it's all, all about. And so, as we consider the book of 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 ecclesiastes and particularly verse number eight or chapter number eight we're really getting to a, a point where he's starting to give some practical guidelines some things that he's learned he's kind of turned the corner in fact chapter seven really is that little bit of the turning the corner he starts out chapter seven dealing with funerals again and it's amazing how death often brings us to really thoughtful points in our in, in our lives coming face to face with that and so it was a funeral. He says, it's better to go in the house of mourning than in the house of feasting, for it's there that the, uh, that's the end of all men, and it's there that the living will lay it to heart. The, the living think about their lives and their own mortality and what they need to change. And so we've turned that corner, and he's starting to give some practical admonition and wisdom from what he's learned throughout his life and even through some of the successes and realizing that the successes don't really satisfy either. Money doesn't satisfy Uh, Certainly, he found that women didn't satisfy. Having unbridled relationships didn't satisfy. Having servants to wait on his every whim didn't satisfy. Um, None of this satisfied him. Only God could and ultimately know that only Jesus can. By the way, as we look out in our society, there are folks that are constantly, and we've been there, constantly seeking after satisfaction in different things. And we know that the, the, the... the basic thing that they're really seeking after is for Jesus. They have that God-shaped hole. God's not going to allow anything else to satisfy. Drugs won't. Drinking won't. Relationships won't. Wealth. Fame. Something I'm noticing about the up-and-coming generation, even listening to the children that that, that come, is their desire to be known. Their desire to have fame. To make their splash in the world. It's amazing how young that that desire starts coming out. But that's not going to give them satisfaction. In fact, you'll find in their pursuit, their endless pursuit of that, that they're they're even upset and they're dissatisfied and they're complaining even in that. And so Solomon knew all that. So his conclusions, even in this passage, are going to help us to serve God and honor Him and walk with Him with joy. And so let's look at this for a moment. Look at verse number 10. I want us to notice there is a frustration in Solomon's heart with the inequity that he sees in Jerusalem and in humanity in general. He sees an inequity, and specifically an inequity of justice. And we're dealing tonight with this matter of when there is injustice, and we see it in our world around us. So we see this frustration with inequity. Solomon's frustrated. He saw a wicked man who was buried. He went to the funeral and he is watching this funeral go down and he is noticing how this man is respected. And you know how at a funeral, even if a person has done some pretty bad things in their life, most people are going to try to, they're going to, try to bring something good about that person, right? They're going to try to note something that was good about that individual. They're going to try to bring a good eulogy, if you will. And so Solomon is watching this there in Jerusalem, and he's watching this funeral go down, and this man is being buried with respect when he needed not to have any respect. And it frustrated him. He saw the unpunished wickedness in this, man's, in this man's life. And look at verse number 10. And so I saw the wicked buried, who had come and gone from the place of the holy. In fact, many believed that Solomon had watched this guy go in and out of the temple and in and out of worship, but he wasn't a good man. And he was known for that. He was a hypocrite, but beyond that, he was not a good man. And Solomon watched this man's burial, his his burial with respect and with dignity, and yet it troubled Solomon. Why did this man get away with it? Why did he go all the way through his life living a double life, being wicked, cheating? I don't know what it all involved, but we can, we can kind of go there in our minds. We've, we've known people that are one thing in one place or put on a show but that's not who they really are and so solomon is really disgusted with this and he's struggling with it the wicked get a respectful burial while the righteous are forgotten now there's a little bit of debate and some say this is one of the hardest verses in um, the book of ecclesiastes to, to 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 interpret so i just want to throw that out there i'm not going to be super dogmatic on this but i do want us to notice uh notice this and they, the second phrase there, and they were forgotten in the city where they had so done. This is also vanity. So it, it, it seems like he's trying to make a contrast, though the wording seems like he's just continuing to talk about the wicked. The word so there in the, uh, in the original has to do with uh, honesty or right, right or integrity. So some believe that uh, Solomon is bringing a contrast. There's the wicked man, who is who is having a fine funeral, but there are people in the same city who have done righteously and honestly who are forgotten. This doesn't make sense to me. This is vanity, and that's the side that I'm going to. That's the interpretation that I'm going to lean towards. Though again, uh, it, it, it is a difficult thing to interpret. But but that's in the context of what he's saying. Even look at down in verse number fourteen, we see that he, he says the the, the righteous get what the wicked deserve, and the wicked get what the righteous deserve. So it, it plays into the context of the passage of Scripture that he's struggling with this, this injustice that he sees the wicked man getting a great funeral, but those that have done righteous, uh, righteously or honestly, they're not, they're not getting any notice. They're, they're forgotten. They're cast to the wayside. And so it's really a struggle for him. If you remember back to Esther chapter 2 and verse number 1, you remember that it was only the providence of God that uncovered the fact that Mordecai. What had he done? Do you remember, Mordecai? Do you remember what he had done? Yeah, these two guys. He'd overheard their conversation. I think the big fan. big Fen and Thresh. I think were their names. And it was written down in the history books, but he was never rewarded until God gave Ahasuerus a sleepless night, and he was reading, he was reading the Chronicles. And, hey, did anything ever happen for this guy? But how many people who have done, done right things? Wouldn't it have been easy for Mordecai to say, well, not my problem. I mean, he's, he has a, a different nationality. These are the persecutors of the, of the Jewish people. Wouldn't it have been easier for him to do this? No, he did the right thing. He honored the king's life. And he, he exposed the, the plot. And later on, God allowed for him to be remembered and to be honored in that moment. But how many times is that not the case? The righteous do good things and they're forgotten. But it's the, the wicked that get the splash. It's the wicked that get the, the, the fineries of, of life. And so Solomon is frustrated with that. Look at verse number 11. He, he goes on he says, the sentence doesn't go out against them. And they get more brazen in their wickedness because the judgment never comes. They never get sentenced. They never get indicted. And, and, and so they just get more and more brazen in their iniquity and their, their wickedness. That really frustrated Solomon. And he is frustrated with the injustice that he's seeing everywhere, the inequity of justice. It seems like the, the righteous man doesn't get his notice, he doesn't get blessed, but the wicked man, he gets his blessing. How is that? And we see that even in our day. How it seems that the wicked men continue and they advance and they gain more money and they accumulate more and the righteous man gets trodden under he gets he gets run over notice this word in in uh, Ecclesiastes uh, 8 11 fully set it's the idea of being uh, being uh, coming to a full place I mean they are they are they are well situated to do evil is the idea they are fully set Uh, they have a good foundation in their place of evil and we certainly see even that today I uh, saw this this uh, um, news article that came out today, and this is the headline, Kim Jong-un uh, meets Putin in Russia to discuss weapons deal. That doesn't sound good at all. <laughs> those, those two men are ungodly men, and uh, they, they're known for their crimes against humanity within their own country and outside of their, um, their country, and yet they're meeting together. And, and it seems like, when will they get justice? Now, we have, within our own country, we have plenty of plenty of injustice that's going on around us Qu- plenty of big questions when are these people going to be called to account are you with me on that like we see this this is this is something we live in day by day and so it's not a far it's not too far for us to imagine what solomon's dealing with as he looks and looks around at the world in which he lives because it happens in our day somebody asked warren Weersby. Um, he asked him this question during the darkest days of World War II. Why doesn't God stop the war? Why doesn't God stop the war? I did a little research. They say that, that uh, World War II was one of the deadliest military conflicts in history, 70 80 to 85 million uh, people who perished during that war. And there's different, uh, different estimates out there. But you think about how much, how much human life, the toll on human life that happened during Uh, during that time. What an awful time. And so this man asked uh, Warren Wearsby, why doesn't doesn't God stop the war? And to which was replied, because he didn't start it in the first place. And it's amazing how often our society blames God for all the the bad things that happen, right? That's one of the immediate responses. You need to be ready to give an answer to that. And just like this man gave an answer, he didn't start in the first place. This wasn't God's design. More and more as I give the gospel, that's one of the things that comes up. And you have to be ready with an answer. As by one man, Romans 5.12, as by one man, sin entered into the world, and death by sin. So that's not only the physical death, the natural death, but it's also the death that is brought about by the hands of one another. Where did Cain learn to use a rock as a murder weapon? Today we'd say that you know, we need to outlaw rocks, right? <laughs> no. It was the heart of, of Cain, the sin in his heart that led him to murder. And so we think about the unpunished wickedness that, that, Habakk- uh, that, that Solomon's seen around him. That leads me to a thought. We were in, in growth group on Sunday morning, and Brother Gary brought up Habakkuk. And one of the things that Habakkuk, uh, that inspired his first prayer, was the fact of seeing injustice everywhere. And he says this, Habakkuk 1 and verse 4, Therefore the law is slacked. And judgment doth never go forth, and the wicked doth com- encompass or compass the, about the righteous, therefore, wrong judgment proceedeth. And so it's almost like the righteous are surrounded with wrong judgment. So Habakkuk looks at the injustice and he says, Lord, what in the world are you doing? Ultimately, God said, I'm going to bring justice, I'm going to bring judgment. So, how does this affect us? You and I watch injustice happen maybe a family level, maybe a work level, maybe in a community. I think about in our own community. There's a young lady that was some 20 20 plus years ago. She came here to this church, was taught by one of the Sunday school teachers. She was kidnapped. And they have never found her body. They're pretty sure they know who did it, but they've never found the body. And it's just like an unfinished situation. It's hard. It's hard for the family. You think about those types of things, how they just go on and on, unpunished wickedness, it seems. There's not somebody in jail today for it, right? It's not because our department hasn't tried extremely, extremely hard. To solve that. But it just goes on. It's out of reach, right? And so how difficult that those types of things are. And Solomon's looking at this and he's saying, I don't understand. This is vanity. This is senseless. This is hard for my human mind to understand. And so perhaps you can identify with him even as you look at the, the, the news and the world around us. I mean, even back when we were thinking about Guys like Osama bin Laden and Saddam Hussein. But it, it's harder and harder not to, to start mentioning some of the people that are in our own country, which is really, really hard to, to look at when you see the stuff right in front of you. And there's more and more questions like, what's going on here? And we see the injustice. We see a whole island burned, and it seems like people are running in with greed. It's such a struggle. I don't know all the answers there, and I don't really, I don't understand all that's going on. But we see injustice, stuff that just doesn't ring right. And with Solomon, we can say this is humanly speaking, this is senseless. Now, Solomon moves in verses twelve and four uh, through fourteen. He moves to some unresolved perspectives. I want us to notice this. Verse twelve: Though a sinner do evil a hundred times, his days. Uh, and his days be prolonged, yet surely I know something. So Solomon gets pretty fixed in this. I know this, that it shall be well with them that fear fear God. I know, I know in my heart that it's going to be well with those that fear God. And the converse is true. Those that do wickedly, I know it's not going to be well with them because they don't fear God. So he, he gives us this perspective, and I, I want us to realize that Solomon gets to an eternal perspective. A, a God-sized perspective. He's rising above it in this moment and saying, hey, I know this in my heart. I surely know this. I don't, I don't halfway know this. I surely know that every man will face God. And those that fear God are going to do well, and those that do not fear God, they're not going to do well. I know that in my heart. Hebrews 9 and verse number 27. It is appointed unto man, the Bible says, it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. But after this, the judgment. We need to remember that. As we look at the injustice in our world, it is appointed unto men once to die, and after this, the judgment. One author said, eternal judgment may be delayed, but it is certain. It is certain. Revelation 20 and verse 12, I saw the dead and small and great stand before God, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. So judgment before God, our day before God is certain. Now, thankfully, do you know which judgment you're going to be at? The judgment seat of Christ. The Bema seat of Christ. It's the, it's the idea of the Olympic, the Olympic uh, judgment seat where they would hand out the rewards our judgment is of our works for Christ, not of where we're going to spend eternity. The great white throne judgment is determining what we're talking about there, is going to determine, uh, determine their destiny in hell. And that's an awful judgment we don't want anybody to be at. We are thankful that even, even us, we will stand before the judgment seat of Christ to receive the things that are done in our bodies, whether they be good or bad. There will 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 lose reward. Those things that are done for Christ and by His Spirit will receive reward. Gold, silver, precious stones. But all that is done for our own selfish agendas will be burned up. The Bible says we'll be saved yet so as by fire, wood, hay, stubble. And so we need to constantly be thinking for, um, for the, towards that judgment seat. It's, it's still true for us that we're going to stand before the Lord. And even, even there are believers who get wayward and they do some crazy things. We will stand before the Lord. And how sobering that is. But Solomon kind of has this big perspective, this eternal perspective. Okay, I surely know those that fear God, they're going to do well. Those that don't, they're not. That's a pretty good, good reality. But then he goes to this earthly perspective in verse number 14 there's vanity, there's vanity which is done upon earth. That the just men, that there, uh, that there be just men unto whom it happeneth according to the works of the wicked. So, just is righteous, okay? They're right. So, for them, I see on earth that it seems like they're getting the consequences of the wicked, even though they've done the right thing. And vice versa, there's wicked people who seem to get the consequences of the, the just man, the righteous man. They get rewarded. So, how does this work? And so, it's, it's like he's up in this eternal perspective those that fear God, they're going to do well. Those that don't fear God, they're not going to do well. Hold, oh, I see that there's some unequal justice going on in the earth. I, I struggle with that. And so Solomon is just pouring this out. Aren't you thankful that God allows us to see the internal workings of a heart that he writes this down for us? Because we go through these same, these same emotional swings, these same wrestlings in our heart. And so that's what Solomon is doing. I like this one um, a Spanish proverb, says, "Laws like spider webs, catch the fly and let the hawk go free. Uh, Laws l- are like spider webs. They, they catch the, the, the fly but let the hawk go free. And you know, sometimes that's what, what happens in our society. It seems like the people that don't deserve to be caught by the law, don't deserve to get the, the short end of the stick, get the short end of the stick, and the person that's, that's obviously doing the wrong thing gets it. So Solomon's frustrated with that. I mean, in his head, he knows surely God's going to do the right thing, and those that fear God, they're they're going to get their just reward before God, but I struggle because I see this among the the righteous and the wicked. Um, Yesterday, uh, this day in history, September 5th, 1651, Baptist preacher Obadiah Holmes, he's he's kind of a a well-known Baptist preacher, but he was publicly beaten here on this continent, for preaching God's word. Some say that it was the first um, shedding of blood for the cause of religious liberty in the New World. And you look at this, and even, even as our country was beginning to be started, religious freedom, friends, religious freedom was something that, that um, your Baptist forefathers were a part of, part of standing for. But it wasn't, it wasn't just a given. I'm thankful for the Bill of Rights. Now, we're, we're wrestling with these things today. I'm thankful for our religious freedom. And I sure hope that we can keep it. We ought to do everything we can to keep it, uh, especially vote and encourage others to. But we need to realize that it hasn't always been the case. And even today, there's people that do the right thing and get, get beat up pretty good for it. They get taken to court. They, they get drained of their resources. and here's a, here's a preacher early on in the New World's history um, being beaten uh, for just simply preaching the word. This sin-cursed life sometimes is not fair. It's a reality. God didn't create it this way. <laughs> We're far from how God created it, but I am thankful that God is still in control. So these frustrations are only going to be relieved as Solomon looks to God. You and I, the same way. And I feel like sometimes we're a broken record because we are, we are saturated with what's going on around us, but these frustrations that we see in the world around us, the injustices, will only, will only be answered when we get our, our minds on the Lord, as we learned on Sunday night, get at the feet of Jesus, as we get our perspective right. And so let's notice what Solomon did. Solomon was frustrated with the inequity, but it was relieved through his worship. Verse number 15. He says, I commend mirth. Man hath no better thing under the sun than to eat, drink, and be merry, for that shall abide with him of the days of his labor, of his life, which God giveth him, which God giveth him. Notice that, which God giveth him under the sun. So Solomon is not just saying, hey, be hedonistic. Just go do whatever feels good. Give up on following God. No, he's saying, listen, what you need to do and what he commends or encourages is that you enjoy what God has given you. Enjoy the blessings of God. This is the fourth time that Solomon brings this point up throughout the book. Enjoy the blessings of God. Now, Solomon knew a lot about the blessings of God. But here he says this, I I commend, I encourage, I recommend that you give yourself to mirth. Now, what is that? sensory joy the idea of enjoying the things that 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 are around you and I I think of uh, I think of of the statement um to stop and smell okay stop and smell the roses uh, take time to notice these things and it's like Solomon is saying hey I want you to I want you to get your eyes off of all that and enjoy the blessings of God that he's put right in front of you enjoy your family Enjoy that cup of coffee. Enjoy the food that he's provided for you. Enjoy the air conditioning that you have. I'm not being silly about this. Literally, Solomon's saying, I recommend that you don't don't go distracted and go crazy thinking about all this. Enjoy what God has given to you. Um, One author put it this way, that this was a faith, a positive faith outlook that Solomon's recommending for God's children and to have all those who accept the life as God's special gift and know that he, is, um, that he gives us all things richly to enjoy. First uh, Timothy 6 and verse number 17 tells us, hey, make sure that you exhort, Timothy, make sure you exhort the rich not to be you know, bloated on their, and, and gloating in their wealth. But it is true that God is the one who gives us wealth, the living God, who gives us wealth, and he gives us all things richly to enjoy. So Solomon's saying, enjoy those blessings that God has given to you. Enjoy those blessings. And I want to just encourage us tonight. Um, I was talking with a a newer believer, and and they they said, "It's, it's amazing to me that I've gotten to the point where I am actually thankful for, they weren't being silly, a cup of coffee a good cup of coffee. Now, I enjoy a good cup of coffee, and I'm thankful for that, but get down to the the heart behind that. Because before Jesus, and before before this change in their life, there wasn't the gratitude for the small things. You know, the gratitude for the small things can change everything. In fact, I'm learning that if I can lead my family, you know, when my kids are squabbling or whatever, and they do, um, to, to stop what are you thankful for today in fact it does my heart a lot of good if I stop and we do it sometimes at the dinner table what are you thankful for today and go around what are you thankful for it does my heart a lot of good to stop and start talking about the things I'm thankful for Amen. and I asked my kids the other night uh, if you woke up tomorrow morning with only the things you thank God for what are you thankful for well it went on for a while but, but in all seriousness, it changes, it changes everything. It changes my perspective. And I frankly need that sometimes because I, I start looking at injustice. And I start thinking, well, I don't have this or I saw this happening. And I'm going to stop and start thanking God for what he's given to me. I believe that's really what Solomon's getting at. Stop and smell the roses. Enjoy what God has given you. Let's not miss the blessings in our lives because we're trying to straighten out the world around us. Now, I'm not saying turn a blind eye to it. Right here in Mission Week, we have, a, we have plenty of work to do in this world. There's labors needed in Spain. But may we not miss the blessings that are right in front of us. And so Solomon is encouraging. He's recommending mirth, that sensory joy. Enjoy that. You get around people and... People that really enjoy food—you might call them a foodie. Do you? Someone that—I mean, uh, we're, you know, Brother Ben's not here tonight, but Brother Ben—he uh, boy—he can talk about steak and what kind of steak and where to get the best steak, and you know, man, he'll he'll go on for a little bit about that. He took us to. Uh, double days uh, a while back last summer, uh, took uh, me and the interns there, and he's like, you are going to have a full rack of ribs, and this is the best uh, ribs ever, and, and so on. And, and he goes on about that. He's a foodie. He's enjoying. He's enjoying. And when he was there, he, he wanted the French onion soup, and he didn't just want it with the normal cheese. He wanted, he wanted quadruple cheese. And in this moment, he's just enjoying. He's enjoying this. But the idea is, enjoy the things that God has put that are available to you. Um, so, Solomon is saying that. Enjoy God's blessings. But lastly, um, we want to look at in, uh, in the embrace of God's superiority. The embrace of God's superiority. And this is really very, very important to close this thought out. Psalm says, When I applied my heart to know wisdom and to see the business that is done upon the earth, for also there is that neither day nor night see asleep sleep with his eyes. The guy that's just given himself to this, he, can, he could stay awake trying to figure things out. And then I beheld all the works of God that man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. And he restates that three, on two more times. But basically, Solomon's saying, listen, I tried to figure all this out. And I came up empty. I was sleepless. I couldn't figure it out. I couldn't understand all this. But then I beheld the, all the works of God, and and I can't I can't plumb I can't plumb the depths of all of His knowledge and all that He's doing. And I do want us to notice. That Solomon says, I beheld, I considered all the works of God. I I tried to wrap my brain around it, and the works of God and the works done under the sun, Solomon's referring to as the same thing. These these works that God is doing in the world and what he's uh, what he's accomplishing, I I couldn't understand it all. And notice he says, I could not find these. I could not find out the work that is done under the sun. The idea of comprehend, I couldn't I couldn't ascertain what God was what God was up to, and he says that three times. He says uh, a little later on, shall not find. The man that labors as he gets all. shall not find. The wise man uh, is not able to find it. So he's not able to comprehend all this. What's, what's Solomon getting at? The idea that, that, that when you try to figure out what God is doing in the world and how he's going to call people into account and how he's going to bring justice and how he's going to set all this, this straight, you're not going to be able to figure it all out. And Solomon is coming to a place where he's saying, listen, I'm going to have to rest in the superiority of God, that he is in charge. And ultimately, he gets to the end of the book, and he says, okay, here's the whole duty of man. Here's everything. This is the conclusion. Fear God, keep his commandments. That's for me. I can't can't make everyone else do that, but I must do that. Fear God and keep his commandments. That's the whole duty of man. So Solomon said that no one could understand God's ways even if he expended all of his energies and if he thought he was wise enough to do it. No one is going to be able to figure all that out. That reminds me, and perhaps you, of Isaiah 55, verse 9. My ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. Romans 11, Oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. I think your word for it is incomprehensibly, something uh, something like that, right? So here's my thought. We need to be okay with God being God. And there comes a point where we have to stand back and we have to... We have to grab our restless heart and we have to say, God's still God. I don't understand how these individuals who are clearly wrong and wicked, I don't understand how God's going to bring all this to, to an end, but God is still God. And those that fear God will do well and those that do not fear God will not do well. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen. The idea of seize your soul, stop your soul, stop your your aggravated heart and be still and know that I am God. Stop striving, remember who I am. So all this injustice in our world today, the injustice we see around us happening to people that we just can't reconcile, we can either live a frustrated life by all that we see or we can learn to worship God. We can learn to pause and say, Thank you for the blessings you've brought into my life. I'm going to enjoy them as long as I have them. Uh, I am going to acknowledge your superiority. I'm going to worship your superiority. You're in charge. You're on the throne. I accept that. It's what David was saying in Psalm 37. We're not to fret ourselves because of evildoers who prosper in the way. He goes on to say, trust in the Lord and do good. So shalt thou dwell in the land and verily... Thou shalt be fed. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Commit thy way unto the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass, and he shall bring forth thy righteousness as the light and thy judgment as the noonday. He will bring it all out in time. And we should also remember this. As we exist in our focus this month on missions, and that's always a focus, but God is merciful and he's long-suffering and he gives time for the wicked to turn to him in faith. And so 2 Peter 3 and verse 9 says the Lord is not slack concerning his promise as some men count slackness and is long-suffering to usward. We were in that condition too. It's really easy to look at we get we come to Christ and we expect everyone to be there right now. We make a decision for God and we expect everyone to be at the same point right now. God is merciful and he's long suffering. And he gives space. He gave the Canaanites 400 years to turn to him before he brought judgment upon them and brought the Israelites into the land to conquer them, Jericho, etc. AI 400 years. And even now, we live in a time where God is giving the Gentiles time to turn to Him. He has set aside His people. We'll talk about this on Sunday. He has set aside His people to provoke them to jealousy until, the Bible says, the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. Until the wickedness. Now, in this time, he wants the gospel to spread to the whole world until it's preached throughout the whole world. But he's giving space for man to turn to him. And so we need to remember that that in our hearts, and our minds, we want God to bring judgment right now. God is a merciful God. And we ought to be thankful for that because that mercy affected us. And so I hope tonight this helps um, maybe just tweak our perspective as we go through the rest of this week. And so let's ask the Lord to help us with that and uh, go in the strength of this word. Father, thank you for, for allowing us to see the inner turmoil of Solomon. And Lord, thank you for not hiding the imperfections or the the rough, the rough times of these biblical characters because we can really identify with them. And so Lord, I pray that you would help us not to be so distracted and so frustrated by the inequities that are all around us, that we fail to worship you and to enjoy your blessings and to enjoy who you are as the supreme, the almighty God who has not lost control of one thing. And so, Lord, help us, we pray. Help us to encourage others with this word tonight, and I pray that you'd help us to walk in the strength of it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To learn more about Grace Baptist or how to have eternal life, visit gracekettering.org. And remember, you are always welcome at Grace Baptist Church.